Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As usual, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks where the sun is shining. Vicky's over in deepest darkest Oxfordshire. Vicky, who have we got on the podcast today? Hi, Sam. Well, today is slightly different for us because we have a podcast guest um, that I haven't met. And in fact, you have listened to her speak, and I believe she is a number one best-selling author. So um, I'm going to That's hand back true. to you. Thank you very much. So yes, for the first time on the podcast, we have a number one best-selling author. Uh, she just released a book. So today we have Sarah Furness on the podcast. I came across Sarah at the talk I went to a little while ago with some of the old Softcat crew who kindly invited this washed-up retired old dude along with them. And Sarah was talking about flying faster, flying higher. And I just thought it was a really interesting conversation. I had a sort of a vested interest because she used to fly helicopters for a living. And my granddad worked on the early military helicopters. We didn't get to talk about helicopters, uh, but we did get to talk about recording a podcast together. So I would like to introduce Sarah. Perhaps you could start, Sarah, by giving us a little bit of your history and your background. It's quite a, quite a journey. Yeah. Hi, Sam. Hi, Vicky. Um, great to be on the podcast. And thank you for managing to get number one best-selling book twice into the introduction. <laughs> that that makes that it three. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I started off life as a helicopter pilot. I did 21 years in the Air Force. So fairly recently changed career, set up my own company, started out really coaching, actually, but then discovered, a bit like you've just mentioned, Sam, that a lot of people were quite interested to hear about the helicopter stories. And I, I realised that I was sitting on quite a lot of skills that I'd been taught in the Air Force. But also I had a kind of unique vehicle to deliver the training because people tend to listen when you when you put helicopter in a sentence. So I, I was able sure to do. kind of... I was able to share the sort of skills and techniques that I'd learned by telling stories about helicopters. And that's kind of how you found me in the, um, at, at the talk that you mentioned. Exactly. Exactly. So tell us a little about you, a bit about your book, because this is just out. I've just read it. What drove you to write it? What's in it? What's it all about? So what drove me to write it was, I suppose there's a kind of moment you know, none of us think that we're sort of good enough for what we do. We've all got imposter syndrome, blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure we'll talk about that later. So, you know, yeah. everyone's got that, right? But there's a moment when someone says, how do you do what you do? Or, you know, can I have some advice? And you realize you've got some value to share with the world. And I think it was one of the first people I ever worked with was actually a GB boxer. And he came to me to be coached on mindfulness, you know, how to train the mind. And I'm thinking, what on earth does a boxer want to talk to me about? you know, this stuff. But he said, well, you've been under threat, you've been in pressurized situations, and you've obviously dealt with it. So you must know what to do. So can you help me perform better in the ring? And I kind of realized, actually, I do know how to do that. And so I started to reverse engineer, I suppose, all the things that I knew, my kind of bucket of knowledge and skills and realized, actually, there are people out there that, that want to know this. And wouldn't it be great if I could put it all in a book that they could read, and I could get it out to as many people as possible. The kind of secret agenda really is that I want everyone to feel as happy as possible and perform at their best. So that was kind of my own personal ambition. Yeah. But I also realized that there was a kind of market for it and that people would, would probably be interested in what I had to say. How's it going so far? How many copies have you sold? Is it going well? Are you pleased? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> 
but it does seem to be that you know there's quite a lot of interest in it and I'm doing a lot of work with big organizations who are asking for lots of copies for their teams and their staff which is great because as I say my secret agenda is for people to feel happier so hopefully lots of people are going to feel happier at the same time as being trained to perform better. Certainly seems like it's resonating right now and and the content seems to be not necessarily purely of the moment, but appropriate to where we are now post-COVID and all that kind of thing. So I'm sure we'll talk about it a little later. Um, so when I saw you talk at the event, you talked about just fly the aircraft. And, you know, that that resonated with me an awful lot. I think um, you know, your your observation really was that multitasking doesn't necessarily do any, any, anybody any good, I think. Perhaps you could elaborate on that for us. Yeah, exactly that. Um, I think it's very easy to assume that our success relies on our ability to multitask. We live in a world where it's expected, it's normal, it's almost championed. I was definitely of the kind of person I thought I I can multitask. I'm good at this, you know. I'm a, I'm a I'm a mother. I'm a helicopter pilot. You know, I tick all these boxes. So I think there's this big kind of myth at the moment that we've most of us have subscribed to that we can multitask and that we should be good at it but actually we're not designed to do that and when I looked at the way that we were taught in flying training I realized that we were being taught to unitask to concentrate on one thing at a time and to prioritize what that one thing was and it took me a while to sort of work that out because when you're going through flying training they do throw a lot of injects at you you know much like most of us have now probably got various applications open right now. We've got various tech devices bleeping at us. So there's this expectation that we should be able to deal with lots of injects at the same time. But actually, the way we were trained in the Air Force was to prioritize what the most important thing was in that moment and focus on one thing at a time. And our mantra was fly the aircraft. Um, so I thought, well, it's a nice catchy phrase. If I could sort of get that out to the rest of the world, but actually it all comes down to focusing on that one thing and working out what that one thing needs to be. You'll feel a lot better and you'll perform a lot better. That makes sense. That makes sense, Vicky. Yeah, no, I'm I'm fascinated by this topic because we recorded another po- podcast on the crisis of prioritization. So you know our audience is the tech industry. Yes. And what we so you're talking about individuals and multitasking, but actually one one of the big challenges that every organisation, they're trying to do too many things at once. And because Mm. they've got so many competing priorities, people are then, or teams are set against each other. So they're competing against each other as well because they can't prioritise and they can't make a decision on what's the most important thing to do. And then they're wasting energy because they're trying to do too many things and they're not getting the most important thing achieved. They're they're spreading themselves thinly, I suppose, is the... I've I've said it before on the podcast, but if you've got 27 priorities, you haven't got any The bit that resonated particularly for me in the book about in in that section was about people coming at you, asking you to do things for them and just sort of politely pushing them back, maybe asking them to wait or come back at a time of your choosing rather than having to deal deal with it right there and then. Yeah, in, in my softcat days with umpteen salespeople asking for assistance, I had to be quite rigorous with that because if nothing else, it would have been unfair to stop what I'm do- I was doing for somebody else to do some, something for that person. So that's certainly something that's good learning for people, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's two things. One is our culture is against us in some ways because we're being led into this culture where we 
because we can answer instantaneously, there's an expectation to. So the culture's not helping us. But also we're kind of born people pleasers. People always say, oh, I'm a people pleaser. We're all people pleasers. You know, we all want to be liked. We all want to be approved of. So I think what's frustrating about it is that none of this is very instinctive. To unitask, we almost have to do the counterintuitive thing because our brains and society will lead us in the opposite direction. Um, but as you know, Vicky's just said, if we don't prioritise, we end up competing against each other. It creates distrust. You know, there's just so many reasons why it's really not helping us. But it takes quite a strong person to stand their ground and go, I actually need to focus my attention here right now. And learning how to do that whilst um, not burning bridges is a skill. And I think that's a good place that we could be focusing our attention now is how do I guard my own priorities without unnecessarily upsetting other people? That's it. You don't need to be rude to people in that scenario, but you do need to just sort of gently push back and and, and put them into a time and space where you can deal with them. And th- you're then doing a better job of, of helping them because you've got the time and the space and the focus to do that, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think what we can do is we can change the whole narrative around it. So rather than saying no, I can't mm. do that. You can say, look, I can see this is really important to you and I want to give this the full attention that this deserves. Yeah. And I can do that at this time. So you are, yeah. you're validating, you know, that it's important to them. You're, you're showing their value to them, but you are standing yeah. your own ground and saying, I can do that yeah. at this time. And so what it's, you're kind of communicating to them is you will get a better service from me when I can give you my full attention, which is at this time. Precisely that. It's not a no, it's a not now. So you talk quite a lot in the book about imposter syndrome, um, something that Vicky <laughs> might have mentioned occasionally on the podcast before and may well be known for giving talks on. Perhaps you could give us your view on this. I would be your very view interested as well. to, uh, to hear what uh, Vicky has to say about this because I think I might be about to propose a slightly different view. I think, I guess the headline would be, we've all got it, get over it <laughs> in the nicest <laughs> way possible. Um, you know, to experience self-doubt is a human condition. And I don't think it's bad either. You know, um, in the flying world, we had this kind of, we talked about the scale of competence. And when you start flying, you start off as unconsciously incompetent. You don't know how bad you are until you, you know, get into a cockpit. And then you go through this painful phase of conscious incompetence, where you realise, actually, I need to learn this. And I think that's what imposter syndrome is. We're just mis-selling it because yeah. if you've got imposter syndrome, I agree. you've got a healthy respect for the people around you. What's wrong yes. with that? Why yes. do we have to just tell ourselves that we're broken, that we need to cure this? Why can't we just lean into it and go, brilliant, there are other people around me that know what they're doing. Maybe I can learn from them. I love that concept. You've, you've summed that up so, so succinctly. I think I've I've been known to say if you haven't if you don't suffer a little bit from imposter syndrome you've got too big an ego I think you need to leave the room yeah yeah but it's, yeah. it is we're all just we are just learning and actually realizing that everybody suffers from it I think I've not heard of the term Sarah at all until we recorded a podcast with the former CEO of Citrix Mark Templeton and he talked about him having imposter syndrome when he was promoted to CEO so in this big job and not feeling like he had to, he could ask for help mm. and that um, he needed to have all the answers himself. And once he realised that he didn't and he could ask for help, he flew, but he couldn't. He couldn't until mm. he'd actually got demoted, gone through the pain and then got re-promoted into the role again. 
I can see why there's a positive intent there. You know, it's kind of saying, look, you know, here's a label that we can give that insecurity, that self-doubt. And therefore it's okay. You know, you can call it something and you feel that sigh of relief that goes, oh, thank goodness, it's not just me. But if that's then a reason to stay stuck and go, well, I can't do it because I've got imposter syndrome, then that's not really helping us. Mm. So I think it's important we can have the conversation. But then the next thing is, so what? You know, what What can do better? What can I learn? Yeah. 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 To to me, it's almost your brain's way of keeping you sharp. Because if you feel like you're an imposter, you know you've got to work at it. Whereas to Vicky's point earlier, if you haven't got imposter syndrome, you probably it's probably something slightly slightly crazy about you. You know, if if you haven't got it, well, you just kind of breeze through it and you don't prepare properly or you don't train properly or you don't do the the pre-work that you need before the big presentation. Because if you've got imposter syndrome, you're actually working at it. But what I hadn't thought about until Sarah just said it then is it's, okay, I've got it. What am I going to do about it? And having that attitude, Mm. which is really a growth mindset, is it? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One other assertion that resonated with me in reading the book was your your um, your statement that we're all a little bit fucked up. <laughs> I love that, <laughs> and I reckon I reckon you may well be correct. You know, we're all products of our experiences, aren't we? And those experiences are not always one hundred percent perfect. So, and I think, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm glad that you swore first. Um, yes, we are, but it doesn't mean we're broken or that we need to be fixed. Um, you know, yeah. we go through childhood. Um, interesting statistic well, truth is that our brains are still developing till our mid-20s so all of these childhood disappointments and you know things that you can remember not getting picked for the lacrosse team or being dumped by you whatever all that stuff that's all forming you know these kind of they're called hyper investments i.e we get afraid of failure or afraid of rejection so the point is is that everyone's got some baggage we all get into adulthood thinking you know oh my goodness it's going to happen again and and that doesn't mean we're broken it doesn't mean we have to go back and do loads of therapy to unpick why we're so messed up it's just a fact and I think again it's like we're all a bit fucked up get over it move on um and the point is is that when you kind of stop wrestling with that and stop trying to fix something that doesn't need fixed then you can focus your attention on something that's you know going to serve you better like um, you know, for example, you can focus on something that nourishes you or you can focus on something that improves you or, you know, something that makes you laugh rather than being obsessed about why am I so messed up, if you see what I mean. <laughs> so the getting forward looking rather than backward looking. There's a theme that I can really hear and you said this as you started, it's about being happy. And I love that that's, that's the core of what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think you know we're, we're so good at kind of beating ourselves up, aren't we? And thinking that we have to be X in order to be happy. But what if we could just say, "Well, I am X. I'm yeah. going to yeah. be happy," you know? Yeah. yeah. This is this is me. Take me or leave it. Leave me. You yeah. know. I guess at the grand old age of forty six, I ain't going to be changing much from here on in. So I'll just get on with it. I like that. I yeah. Like that. Yeah. And probably my favourite bit of the book was, and this is something that really stuck in my mind from your talk actually was your train hard fight easy philosophy which mm-hmm. I guess means kind of put put the hard yards in when you're practicing and when you get into the moment of actually doing whatever it is that you do uh, you should in fact th- in, in theory find it a whole lot easier I'm trying to engender that mindset into my daughter who takes her GCSEs next summer Vicky you'll be in a broadly similar sort of situation fairly soon as well work hard now and the exams will be a whole lot easier when you get there have you got any advice for me or maybe more importantly for her 
Well, yeah, I mean, actually, I would say, you know, you said, oh, I'm 46, I probably won't change. If you don't want to, fine. But actually, the brain's amazing and it never stops growing. So uh, if you if you want to, you can. There's there's no um, upper age limit to training your brain. Um, so it does apply equally well to whether you're three years old or whether you're 100 years old. And that is that, um, you know, we have this expectation, again, that we're born with natural talents or we're good at something or we're not, or we're born cool under pressure. And I'd love to be, you know, as a helicopter pilot, I'd love to think that I'm just naturally cool under pressure. It's a load of rubbish. It was something that I learned to do, you know, over and by doing it over and over and over and repetition. over again. And also, yeah. So repetition, really important. But the other thing is the train hard element. So it's about putting yourself into a bit of stretch because that's when we perform our best. And what you want to do is, is repeatedly have peak performance experiences. And you do that when you're a little bit uncomfortable. And again, I think there's this narrative out there right now that, oh, you know, we shouldn't be stressed. We shouldn't be lonely. We shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't have imposter syndrome. Actually, all of those things, a little bit of discomfort is actually where we do our best learning. And the more we do it, then the more easy it is when you know you're actually in crisis and you need to reel out a kind of under fire, as it were. I've said before on the podcast that sh- I don't think short term stress is necessarily bad for you. You know, it's it's long term grinding co- chronic stress that's painful. But a, you know, a sprint to get a job done or to finish a project or you know to do something, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. It's it's challenging your brain, isn't it? So I was challenged by one of our clients to deliver a new course on change management. And I had to go and learn a whole new set of content. Actually, it was um, it was based on the book Switch, which was recommended to us by Darren Thayer, the, the podcast guest from Google that we had oh, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a framework around change management. And I was absolutely fascinated by it. And I've really learned it. But I started mm. the training with these guys going, guys, you need to know, I'm going to be better in two hours time when we've got through this first section because I'm a little bit nervous here because it's the first yeah. time I'm doing it. But... <laughs> I really appreciate the fact you challenged me to do this for you. Mm. And actually, we use a piece of software called Beacon Force, which measures intrinsic motivation. And part, there's seven pillars of intrinsic motivation. And one of them is that you're feeling challenged, that you feel like you're learning something new. And if you do that and you feel like you're growing, you will stay motivated. So does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, you know, a little bit of, um, I mean, people often think of stress as wholly negative. Actually, technically, positive stress is called eustress. And the stress we refer to as distress. Most people just call it stress. But there is, you know, there's an optimal amount of cortisol we can have in our body, uh, which actually creates a peak performance. Um, And then, you know, obviously, when you kind of go over the, the top and go into panic, that's not great. But stretch is good for us. And we do learn we do learn well and perform well um, when we're in stretch. I've not heard that before. So what was it called? Use, use, use stress. stress. I think it's Greek and it comes yeah. and it's basically positive stress. Um, I'm careful about trying to sell stress as something that's good. Cause like you say, long-term stress, uh, really not good for us. And we don't perform better when we're stressed, but we do perform better when we're in stretch. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Got to read the book for more. Yeah. yeah, well, it, I, I think I go into it in chapter two yeah, or three no, no, no. about because yeah, we spend a lot of time studying stress as pilots. And, you know, there's a real there's a moment when your performance does dip off. So you do need to right. understand, you know, how your to limits sweet spots. It was sort of on, on, on the up, on the upward slope just before peak stress <laughs> it yes, was, yes. was the, the optimum point. 
Yeah, exactly that. And we would, yeah. you know, yeah. you don't even want to perform at the top of the curve because you want to give yourself a bit mm. for mum, as it were. Yeah. So you give yourself yeah. a little yeah. bit extra that you can go just in case you get that inject, but you're just sort of sitting there kind of in that peak performance, you know, what pe- most people call stretch or um, that sweet spot when you kind of, you know, yeah. most most people will kind of recognise it when they're there. And it's just recognising that that's actually quite a good place to be. Yeah. I wonder if there's a correlation between stretch or you stress and um, and kind of fl- pushing you into flow state in a way. I was just so, wondering that. Yes. Chapter four, play hard, fight easy. They, they did studies on concert pianists and, you know, uh, Olympic athletes and also pilots um, and these are all people who in theory their profession revolves around them being able to operate under pressure and be able to operate well under pressure but what they found was that they were actually really good at handling um, stress and it wasn't because they were used to it it's because by operating in flow which is when you're in your sweet spot you actually yeah. increase your resilience to stress so you actually get less flappable, <laughs> but it's about finding the sweet spots. Um, and they and they, yeah. and also the other thing was they were all doing things they loved doing. Yes. So the the goalpost solution is do something that you find optimally challenging that you enjoy doing, and you're training your brain when you're in peak performance. So it could be playing tennis, it could be playing piano, you know, playing yeah. whatever chess, you know. But it's something that you find optimally challenging and you enjoy. That's flow. And that has been proven to increase our stress resilience. That's oh, really fascinating. And sorry to, to hop on about it. I was not expecting to talk about this at all, but the, the app I was sending you at Beacon Force, being bored to performance, to flow, to stress. And, yeah. and it shows when you're in that. And so what so you've just described there helps me it? understand flow. And flow is very narrow on the chart. Mm. It, it, but what the way you've just described being there and how that enables you almost to be a little bit more resilient to stress did I did I just get that right yeah yeah, yeah exactly right yeah. it makes sense yeah. it absolutely makes sense fascinating and it feels bloody wonderful when you hit that flow doesn't it mm. it does yeah exactly we're all happier and performing better yeah. Get to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 when 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 uh in my soft cat days going out and, and talking to customers you know when you're in in the moment and you're presenting and it just all goes or playing in bands once you've got to the point where you you know your your fingers are just doing doing the work and you're just kind of in the moment and looking at the audience and everything's happening and it's just it's just an amazing moment yeah kind of cool yeah well i i was really nervous delivering this workshop last week because it was the first time i'd done it it was new content and, and the team, my team that I work with have really prepped me for it. And actually, Sarah, one of the things I talk about when I talk about imposter syndrome is the way that I get over imposter syndrome is to surround myself with a great team. I, it, I don't have to have all the answers together, yes. the teamwork, is with, because that's what we're about at the Amplified Group. But I, I finished delivering these first two hours and I came off the call and I went, I've really enjoyed that. And I get paid for doing this. How marvellous yeah. is that? I felt Happy very days. lucky. Yes all good it's all yeah. good well i think um we should probably start bringing the episode to a close so perhaps sarah you you would be kind enough to give us uh three key takeaways we always ask our guests for some snippets of wisdom towards the end if that's okay yes absolutely and i'm conscious like you say your listeners are in the tech industry so i wrote these down um i think the number one thing i would say to everyone but i think it is particularly relevant for tech is that we always have a choice and it probably feels like we 
might not because we're constantly being having our attention diverted by lots of different devices and we might feel a kind of obligation but no matter what is going on we can always choose how we respond to what is happening in our life um and i think the the other one that i would say is the sort of train hard fight easy so my thing is fly the aircraft focus on one thing and choose that one thing actually by doing that you are training hard fighting easy because let's face it the world isn't really geared up for unitasking because we're so used to having our attention all over the place so actually just committing to unitasking you are going to be training hard because most people say well I just can't do it it's just too difficult there's too much going on and they give up but they're missing an opportunity to train hard fight easy so please don't be put off by the fact that this might sound like quite a difficult thing to do it is the juice is worth the squeeze we train hard we fight easy we keep going and then one day you'll wake up and you'll realize that what you used to find hard, you find easy. And someone will ask you the question, how do you do it? Because you you've can tell it, them. Yeah. <laughs> you've turned it into a habit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it doesn't take as much energy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. So um, so that would be kind of, I think I just went for two because they're sort of melded yeah. in. But that's what I would say, you know, particularly to people who are leading in tech. Um, is that we don't have to be, you know, it's great that you're doing what you're doing, but you don't have to be slave to it. You can still make choices that serve you and the people around you. Makes sense. Perhaps the third takeaway could be by the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, should, we, haven't actually, we, we, actually, we haven't actually given our listeners the title of the book, where they can find it, where they can buy it from, where they can find more information. Perhaps we should give you the opportunity for a quick shameless plug. Yeah, okay. Number one, Amazon bestseller. How many times have we said that now? Um, <laughs> That's five. <laughs> it's called Fly Higher, and it is available in all good bookstores. Amazon's probably the easiest place to go pick one up. Um, if you want to order bulk copies or uh, want to get a signed copy, that's also possible. Just come to my website, sarah at sarahfurnace.com, um, and send me an email, and we'll sort all that stuff out for you. And we'll, we'll put that stuff in the show notes as well as you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll do. And we've got one last question for you. Oh, no, yeah. actually, Vicky, this is your question. Sorry. Yes, it is. It is. So on the last series of uh, Get Amplified, we were asking our uh, guests to recommend a book. So we're not going to do that because we've, yeah. we've, we've covered <laughs> the book. But on the previous series, we were asking about Team X and Team X is what we describe as team experience. So in the tech industry at the moment, there is so much around customer experience and user experience. Well, to us, what work feels like when you don't want to leave a team is, is great team experience and great teamwork. And I just wondered, with your background, what, what great team experience means to you? Yeah. So, again, I think what I've got to say around this might not be what you might expect, because I actually think that great team experience comes from starting with the individual. And it goes a little bit against the military ethos, which was like, there's no I in team, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But actually, I think good teamship and good leadership comes from understanding the human condition. And you've got a wealth of knowledge right here, you know, your own mind. So if you can understand what's going on in your heads, although we're all wonderfully different, we're also all human. 
And I think it's a brilliant starting point for understanding what's going on with other people. And I bet you that whatever it is that you're afraid of, whatever it is that you don't want to say, or whatever it is that you're secretly annoyed about, is probably what other people are feeling and thinking too. So starting with ourselves and understanding ourselves is a brilliant way to understand other people and have more empathy for what's going on because we often imagine we're the only ones going through an experience. My experience is, is that actually most people are going through the same thing. So we can use our experience to understand others. Yeah. And 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 actually, although that's what you've just described, when the workshops that we do are around building great team experience and but we do start with the individual and we start about understanding Mm. ourselves and we use disc to do that the psychrometric tool disc so that if you can understand yourself and then you can understand your teammates then you know how to relate to each other and that's how we start to build trust yeah and that that there's no wrong or right place to be you've Mm. got some people that are quiet and some people that are more dominant and yet everybody's got an opinion everyone's got thoughts and it's just giving everybody the opportunity to speak up yeah absolutely and I think the opportunity to speak up you can say it's safe to speak up but but I think again one of the best ways to do that is to just be the, the first one that speaks up because yes. we you know think about the way that you know our children copy us or when you're growing up and you go I'll never do what my parents did but we all end up just turning into our parents and that shows us just how powerful um, leadership by example is yeah so if we want people to speak up go first that's yes. how we create inclusivity is you go first and you you demonstrate the behaviors that you want other people and they will because we yeah. all like to we all like to fit in yeah no that that totally makes sense that one of the the pieces of work that we do is we get um the teams to share some of their personal histories and mm. and we ask the leader to go first and we've always prepped the leader on the more vulnerable you are will set the tone for how the conversation goes. And mm. it absolutely does every time. The more that the leader will share what they've experienced, the more open the team are. And yet if the, team, if the leader is quite closed in what they're saying to start with, that's how, so it, they absolutely set the tone. So yeah, totally makes sense. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you yeah, for inviting me on the podcast. Really interesting. I really enjoyed exploring some of the stuff that you touched on in your in, in your talk and in your book, really fascinating. So uh, it just remains for me to say, first of all, to our listeners, go buy the book. <laughs> and secondly, thanks for listening to this episode of Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. As always, your comments and your subscriptions are gratefully received. <laughs>